I'm Claire Liu, and I'm the CEO of Know Your Team, and today I am thrilled to have with me Rand Fishkin, who is the former founder of Moz, this amazing SEO software company that's been around for, I think, 17-some years, and Rand now runs SparkToro, uh, his new startup, and recently published a book called Lost and Founder about his trials and tribulations as an entrepreneur. And so Rand is someone who I've definitely looked up to as a leader, someone who's always honest and uh, very open with the world, and excited to have you here today to ask you this one question about leadership. Yeah, Claire, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. You bet. Okay, Rand. So this is the question that I've been asking leaders who I admire, and it's what's one thing you wish you would have learned earlier as a leader? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I failed to understand, and maybe it's two things, but I think one one of them is uh, the economic and power structure that uh, comes with financing of different kinds for a business. Mm. Initially, I raised some debt with Moz, and then some venture capital, and then a whole lot more venture capital. Um, and I think I raised from some extraordinary, you know, truly wonderful people, some of the best people in that field. Um, but I don't think I had a good understanding of just how that structure works and who it's empowering and who it's helping and how it contributes kind of to the world. And then I think the second thing is, mm-hmm. uh, I think this is probably true for a lot of people, you know, who like me started a business in their early twenties, which is that I don't think I had a strong understanding, a solid understanding of myself and what I loved and what mm-hmm. I liked to do and what I didn't like to do and how I wanted to contribute to the world and how I really didn't. The mashup of those two things created a lot of the strife and stress Mm-hmm. And when those things were most aligned or when I was most ignorant of them and paying no attention to them, things went very well. That's a challenging thing to ask, but I think that a lot of founders, especially, you know, over the last uh, 20 years or so, as, as venture capital has been put forward as not just the best, but almost the only way to build a company in the tech world. Mm-hmm. Right? Either you are raising or you want to raise or you're trying to do something that you think will interest investors so that you can raise. And the number of companies and entrepreneurs who think, hey, I'd like to do this in a different way. I want to raise money in this other way. I'd like to think about alternatives. It's infinitesimally small. Right. Uh, and that's pretty, that's frustrating. I think that venture capital, even venture capitalists, uh, at least all the ones I've ever talked to, would say that VC is wrong for 99% of companies. Sure. But 99% of tech companies are chasing it. Right. So we've created something of a monster there that I, that I don't think is quite right. And um, hmm. I wish that more people would look into alternatives. Absolutely. And I'm happy to discuss any of this in more detail. That's helpful. Oh, my God. I, I am so, so interested to dig in. It's fascinating to hear. Actually, you know, I have to date... Rand, I've interviewed maybe, you know, close to 40 or some CEOs and founders of the years through this series. And you were actually the first person to talk about the real challenge a leader 
faces in thinking about financing their business and how that's something that you wish you would have learned earlier. I think it's implicit in a lot of people's lessons and stories, but I, I really appreciate, I mean, it's just honestly a little, you know, quite refreshing just to hear, no, you know, like I, I felt ignorant about what the options were. And so I want to sort of rewind here. And it's also, by the way, as sort of a footnote, fascinating for me as the CEO and founder of a non-venture backed company too. And, you know, something that's been a, a company that, you know, we've been funded by customer profits since, since day one, since almost five years ago. Uh, but, but an wow, unconventional wow. path, that's, right? That's amazing to hear. Congratulations. Thank you. But, you know, but so. an unconventional path as a software company. And who knows, maybe we'll raise money in the future. Maybe I, you know, I'm not dogmatic about it, I, but I'm so curious to rewind and sort of like jump in that time machine and go back to, to the younger Rand where you felt like you were in the dark, right? So tell me, like, what do you feel like you you either weren't exposed to, whether it was information, like, what were the things influencing you at the time that, that perhaps sort of you wish you would have been more aware of? Like, if you could go back and talk to that younger Rand, like, what would you be be telling him around getting more informed or, or maybe less informed or, you know, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm just curious to know what you would say to that younger Rand. I think a few things that I would say. One is um, I had this weird sort of experience after, you know, in my last year at Mons, I, uh, I worked on this book, The Boston Founder, and I did some research for it about venture capital, right? Because I'm, I'm writing, I want to be accurate, I want to say things correctly, and I realized there's, there's lots of things that I don't know about this topic, and I've raised you know, $28 million from, uh, from venture firms, and so it seems weird that, that I don't know this. But for example, you know, one of the things that was uh, surprising to me to learn is that uh, venture basically became, you know, big in sort of the 70s and 80s when the capital gains tax rate in the United States went way down, right? So capital gains, that's the one where, you know, if you hold stock or you own a company or something, then you sell it, you're only taxed. It's either 15 or 20% today. But, you know, historically, that was 50% or even 70%. This is the same as very high tax rates. Uh, for other things. And when that was successfully lobbied to come down, then you got the venture capital. So if you think about what is venture capital, it's essentially a tax dodge vehicle, right? It's a way for people to save money on their taxes. Generally speaking, that is mostly um, pension funds, endowment funds, uh, and billionaires. And some people with hundreds of millions, with only hundreds of millions of dollars, right? And so they... They are the LPs behind venture firms. They put money into them. And so when you have a tremendously wonderful outcome, um, a very, very successful outcome, which is extraordinarily rare in the, in the venture investing world, because the stats work, we can talk about that in a sec. Most of that money goes back to those groups. And one of the weird things that is also interesting to realize is that, that because of the fact that those folks already have tons and tons of money already, it tends to just sit in their big piles of money, right? So if you think about Scrooge McDuck with like his tower filled with gold coins <laughs> and you add, you know, 10,000 more gold coins, I guess he can swim in a little more money, but that money is not going back out into the economy, right? Scrooge McDuck, famously frugal, um, and it turns out on a relative basis, that's true for people who have hundreds of millions and millions of dollars. You just, you know, unless you're playing Brewster's Millions, you just can't, you can't throw it all away very quickly. Whereas... Somebody like you or I, or somebody who is living paycheck to paycheck gets another $1,000, that money immediately gets spent. It goes back into the economy and sort of helps helps everything grow, helps companies get bigger and people be more successful and entrepreneurs have more opportunity. So at the macro level, I think that was one of my, you know, aha moments. Hmm. Oh my God, wait, who am I helping? 
helping in the world when I take this money and do an amazing job of returning, you know, 10x the capital. Huh, interesting. And, and also, who do I want to help? Right. right. If I'm going to be, if I'm going to have another career like Moz ahead of me with SparkToro that's going to last, you know, a decade or more, how do I want to contribute to the world? Where, where do I want my, you know, efforts uh, to be put? And frankly, I don't have anything against billionaires and endowment funds, but I'm also not passionate about committing my life to making them more money. It doesn't excite me. It doesn't get me out of bed in the morning. Hmm. morning. It doesn't make me go, yes, oh my God, that billionaire needs more. You know, it's just not, not that interesting. But on the other hand, entrepreneurship is very exciting to me. I'm still a capitalist. I like, you know, I like a lot of the things that capitalists can, can provide. I think there's plenty of problems and, and I hope that those can be worked on and, and solved, but I'm not, you know, I'm not ready to tear down the infrastructure yet. And so I think that is a big part of why I chose not to raise venture. And sure. coming out of Moz, you know, Moz is a, was not a, a home run, right? To use venture terms, but it went from, you know, zero to 30 million. CEO and now is at around $50 million a year. Uh, and I think I could reasonably go out and raise venture capital. Well, I could have if I didn't say the things that I'm saying to you now and, and talk about this sort of topic regularly. And I've had totally. plenty of people reach out and say, like, you're crazy. Why talk about this stuff? You'll never get funded again. Eh. <laughs> you know, that was great. Right. Um, maybe that's the point. I'm so fascinated by this, Ryan, and, and so encouraged because one, what I love about what you're sharing is just First of all, this desire to know the truth and to know more and to understand, you know, what are the options? Who am I helping? And then this is related to sort of the second lesson that you talked about being most important, which is, do I know myself for what I actually like and what my preferences are and what I care about? And it sounds like you took that second question really very much to heart in in starting Spark Toro. Can you tell me a little bit about that self-reflection process or what did you do to even answer those questions as you were about to start Spark Toro and, you know, thinking about, okay, well, what is this next company I want to build? Yeah, I mean, a big part of it was saying, I want to do something that other people are not doing, right? So I want to solve an unsolved problem rather than sort of compete with several companies who are already solving a problem. That was definitely something very interesting to me. Uh, that gets me passionate and excited. I like, I like new things, right? I, Moz was like this too, right? Where, where I sort of said, gosh, you know, there's no software in the SEO world that can help all these SEO professionals do these things. And at the time, it wasn't as, you know, it was one twentieth the size an industry that it is today, but I, I really wanted to build that. And, um, and I think that Moz was an early leader and sort of helped inspire a lot more software companies. And now there are lots of tools that that industry can use and, you know, makes lives a lot easier, makes optimization a lot easier, makes Google a lot more transparent, even if they wish that wasn't the case. You know, with SparkToro, the same, same sort of inspiration, right? I thought, I thought that it was ridiculous that in order to figure out if you and I start a company together and let's say we're targeting um, interior designers, right? We design a new set of lighting and we we want to approach uh, commercial and high-end residential interior designers and interior decorators and they're the ones who are going to be buying our lights on. I don't know about you, but I don't have a single interior designer in my network. I just, I don't know anybody in that world. And so... I have no idea how to go about marketing to that. I don't know oh, what podcasts should we go advertise on or try and be a guest on. Uh, what YouTube channels do they watch or what Instagram accounts do they pay attention to? Who do they follow on Twitter and Facebook? Okay, LinkedIn. What websites do they visit? What magazines do they read? What events do they go to? All of those things are things that we will have to spend an inordinate amount of time researching or we'll pay a PR firm 
you know, twenty to fifty thousand dollars to run a large survey of interior designers you know, across whatever markets we want, uh, and come back to us with some of those answers. And then if we want to update it, we got to pay again. So what I hope to solve was this problem, right? This problem of I'm a new company or I'm uh, a company that's been around for a while, but I'm targeting a new audience. How do I go reach them? Where are they spending time and where can I go market to them effectively? Uh, and we, my, my co-founder Casey and I had this idea that there's sort of enough public web and social data mm-hmm. that you can do kind of what they do with polling, but not actively sort of behind the scenes where mm-hmm. enough people have are publicly saying both I'm an interior designer and here's all the things I read and pay attention to and share and talk about on the internet. And if you get a few thousand of those people, you have a reasonable sample set that you can then say, all right, 20% of interior designers listen to this podcast, go to this design festival, visit this website, those kinds of things. And so that's, uh, that was the inspiration for what we're building. And we have a little alpha and we're, we're just sort of working on that. One of the other things that was definitely yeah. true is I knew that I knew that I wanted low risk. I, I know entrepreneurs are supposed to take risks. Right? Sure. I was not really willing to be a high risk. I think the riskiest thing that I want to do is build something new that doesn't exist. Hmm. And, and that's all the risk I'm willing to take. And so we raised some money, but it was a very unique structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can read more about it on, on the Spark Tour website. Sure. I wrote about our very unusual funding round. Uh, basically, we raised money from 35 uh, individuals, just mm-hmm. angel investors with strange terms, um, at least in the, in the venture world. We're an LLC. We pay dividends on our profits. We have our salaries capped until we pay our investors back, you know, 1x their investment. Uh, and then we all sort of share pro rata in the profits of the company. Yep. If the company sold, you know, our investors get money just like normal, uh, pro rata their percentage of ownership. But, you know, we raised a fairly substantive amount for two people working on this project and we haven't hired anyone. We don't plan to hire anyone until we've got some money coming in. Uh, so we raised 1.3 million in May of last year. Mm-hmm. Yes, so far you've only spent not even a fifth of that. So, sure. Yeah. Well, there you go. I so I what I'm so curious to to understand here, Rand, is I mean, if you compare and contrast the paths, right? About twenty eight million. Oh, we've now raised a uh, you know one point three and have you know barely used uh, a fifth of that. Is in that time, I mean, it sounds like you, like I was saying, you know, you'd, you'd undergone some, some big questions, answer them for yourselves. And I guess what I'm curious to know is what advice do you have for founders and leaders who know they want to make a shift, who maybe want to change the way they've been leading or running their company or running their team? What do you do to sort of figure out who you are, right? And what you care about as a leader? That's what I would love to know. Oh man, gaining self-knowledge, right? You, you spend yeah. a lot of time with yourself over <laughs> yes. your life. Yes. And yet that, there are a lot of people who don't know themselves well enough to make good decisions for themselves. Yes. And that is, uh, that is a hard thing. I, Claire, I honestly don't know how to tell someone to, well, what'd you do? You know, you improve know? their self-reflection process. Yeah. Uh, what did you do? I think it's, it's obviously intentional effort yeah. uh, is, is one part and a deep desire to do so, right? A desire to, hey, I want, I want to make my life better by understanding myself more and making decisions that are in line with who I am and what I want in the world mm-hmm. rather than sort of following a path because it's there or because mm. it's up for me or because 
it's a thing that, you know, media and popular culture and people around me are suggesting is the best way. One of the biggest reasons I took venture capital, in fact, the biggest reason for sure that I took it is because I thought I would never get respected as a CEO, as an entrepreneur, unless I raised. Hmm. I thought people in the world would not value what I had to say and that, you know, yeah. um, everyone would always say, oh, yeah, you got, got a nice little lifestyle business. That's a, the common pejorative, right, that Silicon Valley culture yeah. uses to describe businesses like, you know, that, that have not raised, that aren't trying to be, you know, Facebook and Google. And I think that's part of my language, but I think that's bullshit. And yeah. I think it's harmful bullshit. I think it, it's bullshit that biases a lot of us to make non-ideal decisions, to, to chase after this golden calf that we are, we are sort of told by all the people around us and all the media around us is the best thing in the world. And it, it sucks, frankly, that, you know, media and blogs and, and Twitter and yeah. startup world doesn't cover, hey, Claire Lou's know your team uh, made a million dollars in profit this year. Never, you'll never see that headline. Sure. But if you raise a million dollars, right? Which you now, you now you need to be able to make a hundred million, by the way. But if you raise a million, you will be on every headline. You'll get all the emails and the LinkedIn connections, <laughs> and the people reaching out and congratulating you, and you'll get invited to all the events. Sure. And you'll have this new network of powerful, rich people who you know think you're hot and start up. You know, terms, right? And that your company is interesting and your, your life sort of changes overnight in all of these seemingly positive, not necessarily long-term positive, but seemingly positive affirmative ways. And that was true for me. Hmm. I mean, we were the first, you know, company in our space to raise venture capital and, you know, my profile skyrocketed, the company's profile skyrocketed, um, people in Seattle took us more seriously. Hmm. This is a million things that you know, that went along with that, their fancy dinner invitations, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Sure. But it's, it's so natural for us as humans to crave the external validation on the surface. And I think that's, yes. that there's a shortcut to that there. But I, I, what I love about your insight though here is that the anecdote is actually internal and that it's the self-knowledge that sort of shields you or opens the door and says, Hey, you know what? Maybe I do like the external validation and that is what I care about in life and that's great and you know you you pursue that. You we so often search for the answers to questions outside ourselves thinking, oh if you know if I read this blog post or if I you know if I talk to this person or if, yeah this person mentors me then I'm I'm going to really understand sort of the path to take. And I I just I just really so appreciate the affirmation that you know what for you making this decision to to start SparkTor in a certain way very much started with this foundation of self-knowledge. So I, I think that's such an important piece of wisdom there. It could be the case, right, that the answers aren't necessarily inside of us, but I think the questions are. Yeah. Right? And I think I think that if we if we dig in and we get to we get to know ourselves, we will know these questions to ask. And yes. then we can judge for ourselves whether the answers fit with what we want and how Tribute and what really matters to us in, in the short and the long run. You know, for me, I mean, one of the things that I, that I'll say that, that I think is embarrassing, but I'll, true is that I think if I hadn't or hadn't been able to raise venture capital, I would have always thought of myself as not good enough. Hmm. 
I'm actually really glad that for Moz, I raised it because I, I know how I am. I know that I would never be able to successfully convince myself like, hey, it's okay, Rand. Like that path isn't a great one anyway. It's not something you would have loved. That would not have worked on me, right? I would have always been chasing it. And that's not a good reason. That's that is a bad reason to chase something. That's a that's an emotionally immature reason to chase something. But at the same time, you know, when you know yourself, you're like, hey, if I don't give this a shot, you know, I'll I'll never forgive myself. Okay, do it. You got to do it. Right. The self knowledge um, is there, and and as you said, yeah. like perhaps the answer isn't within yourself, or even the right answer objectively. But but the question is there, and 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 I think it it always it always starts with like you were saying, asking that question for yourself. Thank you so much for, for that yeah. reminder, Rand, and for, yeah, sure. as always, being so transparent in the choices that there's, you've made. Yeah. Oh, no, please. Yeah, there's one more, one more thing I wanted to add, especially for your audience, because I think, I think a natural question that comes up is, yes. you know, how did you, how did you raise this alternative round? And I don't understand how, how, if I don't take venture, how can I get my business funded? And the only thing I would say on that front is, yes. it's a very exciting time to not be only interested in venture. There mm-hmm. are, Dozens of new funds popping up that are not the classic venture model. Uh, NDVC is is one of the best known ones, but there are uh, a bunch more. In fact, my wife and I are um, thinking about making an investment in in one or a couple of these. There are new opportunities, and angels are more flexible than ever. Even the ones who are on angel lists, who are you know in the classic world, I pitched thirty nine people, and four said no. And 35 said yes to this very alternative structure. <laughs> so I, I think there's a lot of appetite for people to want to invest in and fund different kinds of businesses in different ways. So don't count yourself out of the game. It is not impossible to raise money. You don't have to work two jobs at the same time and, and try to make your startup your side project and that kind of thing. You can if you want, but you don't have to do that. There are other ways. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know folks who are listening to this, I'm sure, are taking notes. And as always, Rand, just appreciate you having such a strong and, and open voice on, yeah, on the road that you've, you've taken. It's, it's amazing. Thank you again. Yeah, we appreciate it all. No, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. 